Greetings there, SE land. This is Twig, Anthony Twig Wheeler, here with another episode, episode of Twig's SE Reflections, episode number 75. 75 of Twig's SE Reflections. This is a podcast series for SE students and practitioners everywhere. Folks that are studying the psychobiological literature, the polyvagal theory, somatic healing arts. I'm a somatic experiencing practitioner and kind of an enthusiast. Here I am. I'm talking to you about things that I think about behind the scenes in my sessions, in my consultations, in the little workshops that I give that kind of hoping to help SE practitioners feel some encouragement, refine their artfulness, be able to help people that much faster with that much more ease and comfort today. Episode 75, Finding Your Own SE Voice. That's the subject I've thought I'd like to talk about that. I'd like to reflect with you a little bit on what's it like? What's it take? What's the importance of? How long does it require? Are there helpful hints along the way toward cultivating, developing, inhabiting, owning your own voice inside of your sessions, your own SE voice? Yeah. Hmm. Really? Yeah. Okay. I would say yes. I would say eventually. I don't know how long this takes, but eventually when you start to inhabit your work, when you start to feel your own compass in guiding your clients through your sessions, there comes a time when you start using phrases, verbiage, style, tone, presentation, timing that is uniquely your own, that comes and is informed by other experiences that you've had, other practices that you've cultivated, other language and bodies of work and literature other libraries of experience that you've collected over the years, those all start to filter into and inform how you will find yourself doing, quote, somatic experiencing, the work of this kind of thing where we're, I don't know, let's just say we're asking people to become more participatory with their nature. That nature has a certain intelligence that we trust is although it can be confused when given the proper support the appropriate signals of attention and cues of pendulation and oscillation things move forward in a more helpful and healthful way that's a cheesy way of saying we're trying to help people do something that is already wanting to happen and we're picking up techniques and style points rules of the maps and games, things that help to direct people's attention away from reinforcing negative sensory motor signals, the red trauma vortex kind of business. We're helping people balance that attention with things that are more positively felt, more neutral, less negative, more balancing of the attention so that the nervous system isn't only receiving a signal that says something is wrong here, 
but also receiving a counter signal that says other things can happen than simply the repetitive signal of distress. We pull all those together and we realize, oh, you know, there's things we're trying to do. There's things we're trying to affect. There's a sequence or a series of effects. They're not all the same. We don't follow the same pattern with every single person and every single session. It's not a checkerboard, or maybe it is a checkerboard that's dynamic. It's not a hopscotch where the rules are the same with each every step that you take. It's dynamic. And there are kind of guidelines, you know, like this leads to that, leads to that, leads to that, which is beyond the scope of the podcast here for sure. But even sometimes it's beyond the scope of the training. It's just so big and broad how many different patterns we're going to find useful in meeting with people. And yet we will find, we will find patterns, unique patterns that we'll repeat over and over and we'll call this somatic experiencing. And we could almost learn those patterns, those requests, those kind of directions and interventions. We could almost learn those and read them as rote or not infuse them with our own personality not find our own voice. We could almost read them out of a book. You know, this, this stress response thing, the arrest of the stress response, the fixation of the traumatic stress reaction, the repetitious nature of sensory motor signals and thought processes that are kind of associated to involuntary, incomplete procedural and implicit memory signals. You know, the the kind of way that we talk about how Things are repeating themselves because they want to complete, because they're looking for some sense of satisfaction. That desire for wanting to complete, for repeating itself until it kind of gets some satisfaction, that's something that's wanting to happen. It's confused, really confused, could be extremely confused about what it wants to do. Even the signal of settling could be felt as dangerous and cause a paradoxical reaction where the nervous system actually gets more aroused and more activated just from the sense of settling. There are all kinds of paths and ways that things could kind of go awry. And yet there's a logic behind it, a logic that we're trying to learn and a logic that once we learn it, we could almost read out of a book in order to help the system, the nervous system that we're working with that might be kind of arrested somewhere or in a cul-de-sac somewhere along the path of completion of the stress response. If that were, if, if we could just, you know, find the right questions to help that move through, it's almost like we could just, we could almost read it out of a book. We could almost be dry. We could almost be basic or pedantic or uninformed or without personality. Because, you know, it's, it's a natural thing. (laughs) the completion of the stress response and it wants to happen and and there are times when when you will see it happen of its own or there will be other times when you'll watch a child fall and you'll go over and sit next to the child and and just enough signal that says you don't have to get up will help the child to sit on the ground long enough that their body starts to you know tremble and shake and they naturally reorient and feel different afterwards and take off running and playing than if they had gotten right up right away and limped away in pain or hurt. It's quite remarkable just how much this process wants to happen. And given just the right and enough signal, 
humans, just like other critters, are desirous of this completion process. And if and if if it's true that it's so, you know, ready to happen, and we just need to learn enough of the patterns that help the process move along once it's been stuck, help to initiate pendulation perhaps, you know, a person notices that the left side of their neck is super tight and they're constantly trying to stretch it. So they just keep trying to stretch it and you keep watching and noticing how they keep trying to stretch it and you think to yourself, well, you know, those muscles are tight. Those muscles are tight because the body is actually trying to do something. Their muscles pull bones closer together across a joint. And so if a muscle's tight, it's kind of got this signal Okay, it could be the fascia. It could be the fascia. Just the, the sheath in the muscles could all just be adhered and not moving, not be pliable. So it could have the feeling of kind of stuckness. But it's more like a tension like that. Like it's like the muscle is pulling. And I'm trying to stretch it. And the muscle's pulling. And the person might be trying to stretch it. And you could watch that. And you could think, well, if it's trying to pull, maybe that's actually something that it's trying to do, trying to get some satisfaction with. And I have to figure out the way that I can allow or kind of invite this person's attention to allow not the discomfort just per se, like, oh, let your muscle be tight there, but more allow the process that that discomfort and that tightness is trying to drive, the action of pulling the head, the neck, the, the shoulder perhaps closer together, and that tension actually doing itself, pulling as compared to being stretched and trying to get it to turn off. It's almost like if we could just learn the patterns of, oh, when a person's nervous system gets tight like that and they are going against the allowance of that and the following of that and the curiosity of what that would lead to, how can I prime the pendulation and their permission so that it won't just stay stuck if we start to feel it, it'll actually move. And as it does move, they'll allow it to happen, even though it might get tighter and in the meantime, in, in the moment, they might think that their desire is for it to become looser. There are patterns. And when you learn them, you can help people in a way that you might not have been able to before. <laughs> Just, they're very, very, very helpful. It's extremely helpful to learn how to help a person track and notice the tension becoming itself in their, you know, say, tight sore neck here is my example and as that tension increases and hits a certain threshold where the nervous system says and perceives oh I've done that enough then we can see what other impact that has what 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 else that moves to that that over coupling moves to you know does it move out and settle out does it do something else what's it what comes next after the use and satisfaction of that could be rote it could be I'm telling you, it really could be, which is good because, you know, sometimes you're going to be, who knows, who knows where you're going to go. You might be in some foreign place where you don't speak the language that other people do. You might be with your own kind and you don't speak the language at the moment. And this process wants to happen to the extent that even with minimal skillfulness in your communication or shared, you know, vocabulary, you can probably help people once you understand these patterns and maps effectively. And so, okay, let me get there. Let me go there. Let me go there. 
at the same time, as it's a learning and it's a set of, it's not exactly, but it's close to rules, you know, of necessary and sufficient conditions. If this, then that kind of things. If it's a little bit too much red, then we got to get some more, you know, support on the blue. If it's too a little bit more, too much inside the vortexes, we got to get enough orientation. There's all kinds of this, then that kind of stuff. Somewhere in there, there's the fact that you're the one in the room. Here's this thing that wants to happen. Here's this stress response, natural biological process that's been kind of disrupted, thwarted for some reason. The person was in an accident. They didn't get to complete the deactivation stage. Their nervous system's still feeling like they're kind of maybe about to get hit or maybe in the rumble of that hit or still trying to figure out how to settle out afterwards. You know, this is a lucky case. This person finds you while they're still rumbling and before it's gone underground for 20 years and kind of affected their life all of this time. You finally, you know, you, you're lucky. You get to see them within the week and now you're looking for how you're going to help this very natural expectant process to move through. All good. And it's basic. It wants to happen. You don't have to be a genius. You just have to know enough to you know, be there with them. The thing is, it's, it wants to happen except it's not going to happen except if somebody like you is there with them. That's why for so many people an accident can go underground inside of their organism for 20 years and be causing a constant little flirtation with the you know, stress response every time they get in a car, every time they have sudden movement. There's all kinds of examples of, of little events not moving through for people. And yet here's this process, big events not moving through for people, all the way through, all the way across the spectrum of small to little. And you, you're the one who's going to be there with somebody when it starts to move through. And while it could be rote, this thing is not going to happen except by your presence. And I guess what I'd like to say is that the more authentically you, that you can be in the room with your clients, it seems to me, and I think the literature bears this out, I think all the interpersonal psychobiology stuff, I think all the social neuroscience stuff, I think all the Alan Shore stuff, I think so much of the Dan Siegel stuff, I think all of these guys that are out there talking about the reality of just how influential and significant the influence influential the you know the interpersonal dynamic of how our nervous system is feeling very porgesian here how our nervous system is feeling translates and transmits across you know the space between us and the people that we're enacting with, encountering, engaging with, particularly in our office, where we're setting the setting conditions, as Porges calls it, the environment, the context, the initial conditions, as Stephen Hoskinson might call it. It's like we're establishing the environment which is going to allow this thing, which wants to happen and hasn't yet happened, to be allowed to happen in a way that it's not going to happen unless they happen to come into our office. Strange enough, that's what it's going to take. 
And the more us, the more, the more you, you get to be, the more you get to bring your own nervous system's well-being into the room to transmit and translate across that space between you and your client and infuse those rote, patterned suggestions and invitations that we learn as a structural device inside of this work we call SE. Like the more you, you get to be inside of your presentation of delivering those things, those, um, what interventions we call them sometimes, then the more, you know, like your own being, your own nervous system, your own ventral vagal complex, to the extent that that's part of it, your own, you know, I'm here, you know, I'm here and it's okay that I'm here signals across just that much more to your client that, hey, you know, somebody else is okay to be here. And in the same way that, you know, you hear sometimes about how you can see Peter Levine, like massage his feet. You know, I, I play that out in one of my stage shows, Stories of Completion. I'm, I'm having this kind of stressful moment out on a hunt in the mountains and I'm starting to lose my vision and I start massaging my jaw, imagining like, what would I see Peter Levine do perhaps if I saw him kind of having a hard time paying attention. I might, you might see him massaging his jaw, relaxing himself a little bit. So I start doing that and all of a sudden I can see the trail that I'm on so much clearer. You know, like we can see him do things. We can see other practitioners do things that help them be more in the room. That's a place you might, you, you know, you, you, you probably already know that, but you're headed there. You're headed there. Yo, know, it's going to take just so much time. You have to learn the patterns and the phrases and, and get, you know, four or five different questions for each particular point along a session so you don't sound like you're just actually wrote and reading out of a book because some people find that really annoying. So, you know, you're going to have to play a lot and learn a lot and put together a lot of different phrases and patterns and rules and such, if this, then that, maybe kind of things. And... All the while, there is you hovering around the room and hovering around your sessions and hovering into your future, coming back of bringing the way that you get excited about landscape, perhaps, or weather, or you know a lot about television or the latest shows or things from the past, any thing that you've been a part of in your life and integrated and it's become part of you might show up someday in one of your sessions. You might have a client who turns out that they were, they were into science at one point and your background in science suddenly gets to talk to them or meditation or spiritual pursuits or movement patterns or physical, you know, activity or skiing. I don't know what it is. Your you-ness is going to be available at some point and it's going to, get to interact and interweave with all of the rote rules about, you know, um, what you say next. So here I am coming in here today, episode 75, with an encouraging thought. I'd like to encourage you 
that while in the learning process you can feel a little bit of the bumble and you can feel tongue-tied, you cannot know exactly which phrase or which word or which request to use next. You can be confused about whether or not you should ask a person to continue to feel that tension or whether or not you should ask perhaps for if they notice anything other than that tension. Oh, do you notice that tension and what else do you notice? You might still not know the difference between that and 13 other possibilities inside of there, including notice the tension but notice the outside edge of it. Notice the tension and notice if there's anywhere that's not as tight as that. Notice the tension and then as you notice that tension, be curious if you can. Does it increase? Does it decrease? Does it stay the same or does it change to something else? This goes on and on. You might at any point in a session come up with lots and lots of different ways that you bring the attention toward the next moment. And learning all of that what can you do? You got you to gotta watch and learn and, and suck it up and make mistakes and, and frankly, not know what to say. You got to not know what to say sometimes. You got to really feel tongue-tied. You got to really admit, you know, I don't exactly know what to say here, but it's kind of like I'm just curious. Does it seem like it's too much to feel that or does it just seem like it's awkward to feel that or does it seem like it's okay to feel that? You know, I, I don't exactly know how to ask, but but I'm wondering, you know, is it seem like we can feel that or we shouldn't feel that? Because I hear what you're saying that you don't like it. You might not have all of the slidey, perfect ways to move everybody's attention. You might, in fact, have to be transparent sometimes and mention that you don't exactly know what to say. All along the way that you're watching other practitioners that you're listening to, you know, teachers and listen to how they do it and such like that. And hopefully I would say that you're mimicking people, that you're at times wazo no sumo, as talked about in one of the other episodes of the podcast, you're stealing the technique. You know, you're, you hear a phrase, that phrase from Peter Levine, it's just like everybody, we should all say it just a million times in the next year. It's like, Okay, and as you notice that tension, as you notice that pulsing, as you notice that vibration, as you notice that relaxation, as you notice that X, whatever it is, as you notice that, can you notice that and see, does it increase? Does it decrease? Does it stay the same? Or does it change to something else? You get to just absorb that phrase and make it your own. And now that's the thing. As you absorb all of these and as you mimic and as you repeat, there will be times that you'll lose your voice. I think that's part of the learning process. You take on other people's voice. You wazo onosumu. You steal the technique. You you try on other people's stance. You you talk maybe a little bit more, I don't know, ponderous like Peter Levine, like a little bit more thoughtful. Or uh, David de Rosenroll. He's a faculty up in Canada, Victoria, British Columbia. He has this beautiful thing he calls the Columbo Act. And if you ever get anywhere near him, Please ask him to explain it. He does this beautiful thing, which I, I happen to have the same little tendency. And when I heard him say it, it's like, that's the perfect explanation. You listen to a person's explanation of while, while they're there, why they're there for you to come see you. You listen in for there for some kind of psychobiological explanation for what it is that's going on for them you know, difficulty letting go and you have a sense of how their sympathetic system is holding on a lot. And then you might come in a little 
offhanded, a little curious, a little not so sure as if you're Columbo, that character from the television series, you know, where you'd be like, oh, you know, I don't know if this is really the right thing. And I don't, I might be wrong about this, but does it sometimes seem like, and then you maybe predict a symptom that they have sometimes. You, oh, you know, uh, I was just like, does it seem sometimes like when you get into traffic and like you just, you find yourself gripping the steering wheel and it's just like, you just like almost like squeezing the steering wheel and maybe even like squeezing your teeth like super, super tight, like you're like strangling the steering wheel. And you're just assuming or you're proposing or you're projecting that based on these other symptoms of the sympathetic system always being all and all the time, you might be able to predict into a place where their sympathetic system expresses itself all the time. But it's a style. And David Rosenroll has his own style of how he does that. And you might, in fact, practice his style. In fact, I would. I, I did. And it's a great way to go because any time you might need to pull that out. But at some point, after your mimicry, after your practicing, after your repeating of all of your teachers and influences and such, there will be these, these sessions or lines or moments where you'll hear your own voice. I think. I think it's coming. I think it's coming. I think there's this time when you're going to be repeating some phrase you've taken from me or from one of your faculty or somebody else, some other student. You're going to, you're going to use that same line, but you're going to hear your own pace for it. You're going to hear your own twist on it. When you hear that, you know, put, put some like bells and whistles around that. Take, take it in. You're, you're not repeating somebody else anymore. They're your own words. Oh, yeah, it's the same pattern. Oh, it's the same instance of using it. It's the same request. But you, when you hear your own voice inside of that phrase, some kind of, you know, is that more on the pleasant side, on the unpleasant side, more in the neutral range? Like when you hear your own way of doing it, Hooray. Hooray every single time that you notice it because you're now you're going to be building up your own being, your own presence inside of this work. And the I think the psychobiological impact of that, it can't, can't be measured. You know, I, I have this thing that I do in my sessions where I use almost an excessive number of little stitching sounds uh-huh hmm really oh hmm now you know my client might be talking they're expressing something they're explaining something to me i'm listening i'm paying attention they don't need me to interrupt and they don't need me to ask questions they're being forthcoming and giving me all the information that you know is is really needed and at the same time i'm not interested in going silent during that window of time i want to make sure that there's at least some amount of back and forth, even if my back and forth is inconsequential. I want to make sure that I can insert my voice into their stream of conversation so that once it becomes a moment for me to pause or take some time or redirect or be curious about something, I'm not breaking some weird, uncomfortable silence. So I use these little sounds, you know, and I'm like, mm-hmm. Right. Really? Huh. Oh, you did? 
and I'm, I'm making those little sounds and I'm doing it almost too often. I do it almost too often. I'll tell you what, my friend, my dear listener, I do it almost too often. At one time, I definitely did do it too often. And frequently, I have to catch myself and pull it back and make sure that I'm not doing it just too, too often. Almost too often. And yet, it's my voice. It's my voice. And if I were to, at this point, strangle it or hold it back or repress it or tell myself that that's not what I'm supposed to do or I'm not, you know, I need to control that more. If I held that back any more than I already do, I would certainly be struggling with my being inside the session. And I think that that would come across, I think it would come across, I think it comes across as an awkward uncomfortableness of the allowance for me to be in the room, which I'm pretty sure, not only is this the felt sense experience of it, but I'm pretty sure the science would bear it out that imperceptibly through micro movements and micro expressions, tiny little, you know, pick up elements of the ventral vagal complex and, and, or like involuntary facial read and tone of voice kind of read and tension patterns and everything. I'm pretty sure if I didn't allow myself to simply say those sounds, even though they're too much, my organism would be stiff in a way that it doesn't need to be and that that would come across to my client and that would be inhibitory on their own free expression. In the fact that Peter Levine lets himself kind of massage his jaw in the middle of a session, or any of us like might choose to massage our feet or let ourselves look around, the freer we can let ourselves be inside of our own voice, in our own physicality, the more we signal across to the other, it's okay for you to be here in the same way that it's okay for me to be here. So over the years, you know, I've I've taken to more humor than I used to have. And sometimes it it's too much. And I and I notice like I'm making light of something that's too much and I have to pull that back and I do. But I don't do that any extra extra anymore <laughs> than I would if unless um, I'm I'm kind of, you know, pushing pushing into a humor where it's really not appropriate, I use it and allow it because my my own being has moved over toward that and I enjoy it more. That allowance, that allowance is, is there. It has to do with you allowing your own voice to come through, which probably requires you spending enough time with the patterns and the phrases of speech in an uncomfortable way before they finally become enough of your own that as you go to deliver them with more gravity or less or, you know, more playfulness or less or whatever it is that is more you and is informed by your own historical, you know, this is how my organism comes into itself and comes into sharing moments with you. I think, I think that that will help. And I think that that will come. And I want to encourage you to not worry that you sometimes don't know what to say. Because of course you don't. It's quite dynamic. And you're learning it. And it's a pretty big language. And all of the different nuances and times of expression and talking to different people along different phases 
different, you know, points along the resiliency spectrum where you have more influence from the ventral vagal complex or the sympathetic system or the dorsal vagal complex and how you might talk slower to one or faster with another. And you'll have to adjust your ownness and your own kind of way of being inside of those sessions with different people in different autonomic nervous system states. And yet in each of those, you'll, I mean, I think, you know, kind of what I'm pointing at is that you're going to find your own voice in those. The more you do, the more you'll put other people at ease. I think so. I think so. Can I say one last thing here? The more you practice in environments that it doesn't matter, I think, generally speaking, the easier it is for you to explore what you can do, feel comfortable doing it, and not get too overwrought for doing it wrong. When you're in a session and you're trying to say maybe explain SE to somebody and you're trying to like find your own words to kind of get them interested and enthusiastic and participatory with the process and such. And it matters. It matters in that context. You have to look sensible. Your offer has to make sense. It has to be enticing. It has to not spur too much negative thought you know, that like, oh, I'm so, you know, got such a problem, you know, you, you have to kind of balance and almost yeah, really you kind of have to market it in a way to kind of help people get invested and then grow that investment over time. There's, there's a lot in there. And if it matters, this person needs to trust you, you need to sound competent, your rapport is on the line, all of these things. When it matters that at that level, it can be a little hard to step into feeling comfortable, making mistakes, feeling tongue-tied, not really, you know, having it flow so smoothly and easily. So if you have the opportunity or if you take the opportunity, you go make the opportunity to practice at times and in places where it doesn't matter, doesn't matter as much. Super helpful. Super helpful. You know, when I first got into this, and this is just part of my enthusiastic, you know, kind of advocacy nature, but I, every, oh gosh, my friends, maybe, maybe they, no, I think they all appreciated this. Yeah, they, they would, they did. I would be at dinner. I would ask, hey, you know, can I explain something to you guys that I'm really excited about that I'm learning right now? I would take over a napkin, turn a napkin upside down as it were and pull out a pin and I would explain some part of the stress response or some part of how you know animals complete the stress response or you know which physiology is kind of going off at any moment when we're fleeing or when we're fighting or when we're freezing or all of those kind of things and I would just say let me just explain this like five or ten minutes and I want to take the whole dinner and I wouldn't turn it into an evangelist kind of thing, but I would use it both as an opportunity to share something that's really super cool and to practice, 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 practice in a setting that it, it was my friends. And, you know, your friends are going to give you 10 minutes. So maybe just as a thought, as you're going to find all of your different verbiage, practice in the shower, practice in the car, practice when you're in your office, Rehearse your lines after your sessions are over. When people leave, retrace. What else could I have said there? When you get into 
meetings with your loved ones and your friends where it's just like, oh, you know, like, you know, maybe we just take a look around, you know, um, maybe if your daughter's taking a test, maybe we, we just, we take a look around, you know, before the test. And we just talk about how maybe that's a nice thing for us to do sometime when it's not so much weight, when somebody's not paying you money. Yep. Practice, practice, practice. The more often all of these lines come off your tongue, the more you're going to get to infuse it with your own voice. And when that comes, yes, you will. You'll see a difference. People will relax or enter into some kind of participation with you that was less available before, even though it's still true. It could be pretty rote. It could be pretty simplified. And it would still work because, whoa, baby, this still wants to happen. Yes, indeed. Episode 75, finding your own SE voice. When you hear it in your office, out in the world, when you're sharing it with somebody and you hear your own words coming out, even if it's somebody else's words that you're saying, but it's your own voice. Yes. Say yes to that. Turn that way toward the source. Take good care, my friends. We'll be talking to you some other time. Bye-bye now. Here's a little tracking twig moment. On February 27th and 28th, I'm going to be in Tucson, Arizona. On the 27th, we're going to do a workshop on marketing SE to new clients, introducing this work to increase people's interest and future success. That is going to be an exhaustive day. I'm going to just be completely exhaustive, say everything I can possibly say on the subject that is February 27th, Tucson, Arizona. February 28th, demonstration day and a social in the evening. Actually, 29th, group consultation in the evening time. Those are all on my schedule, liberationispossible.org backslash schedule. Following weekend, first weekend of March, I'll be in Los Angeles. Last weekend of March, I'll be in Berkeley. Other news coming too. Okay, that's that.